This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. These podcasts are always, always tougher after a loss. And we're going to try to soldier through that toughness today. Get you something for the Thanksgiving holiday. Something you can listen to as you're driving wherever you need to go on the big day. Or maybe something for when you're uh, cooking the turkey on that big day or maybe something just to tide you over during the week as a nibble. You never know, right? Everybody does this different. Uh, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name is Matt Bagley. I'm joined by Justin Hopkins of ScoopDuck.com and on three. And let's just get the tough question out of the way. Oregon loses to Utah. I know you didn't predict that, and I didn't predict that, and I didn't think this game would be that difficult at all um how do you feel after a stunner like that oh uh i mean there's no way to feel other than bad and uh not because oregon lost i mean i i'm okay with oregon losing to utah on the road good team you know this team's nine and two which quite frankly is where we expected them to be at this point in time i know people are grossly forgetting that fact uh it's hard to do after a what we'll call emotional loss like that, but the, the, the team remains nine and two, but you know, the bigger, the bigger problem looms. It, it wasn't just a loss. It was a bad loss. You got your butt kicked on both sides of the field. You look like you didn't want to be there. You look like you were going through the motions, um, just no passion, no energy, no focus. Um, I, I, you were outplayed. You were outcoached. I don't know what else to say. It was just, the level of the loss is what stings the most. Again, I I could live with taking an L, you know, if that thing finished 38, 35 or, or, or 24, 20, 21, or, you know, something and it's, it's a close game and they went on a field goal or, you know, something to that effect, but it wasn't even anything like that. It, It was a, it was an ass whooping from the first whistle to the last whistle. Uh, and that is, 100% 100% flat out inexcusable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? You lose by a field goal. Hey, that's college football. That happens, right? A call here, call there. Think about the Stanford game. You know, they don't call that that penalty at the end in Palo Alto and Oregon wins. That happens. That happens all over college football every week of the year, countless times. A game like Saturday where – you get off to that slow start and I'm thinking, Oh no, right. Oregon's got to come back. That's one thing. But then by halftime, it was, it was obvious. It was resounding Oregon. Like you said, got their butt kicked. Yeah. I think even, you know, uh, myself watching the first half, you know, you're shaking your head. There's absolutely nothing that the offense can do. Uh, You know, they were stuck in neutral, uh, the entire first half, and you're thinking, okay, well, here's the deal. The defense hasn't been great, but you're about to go into the half 21-0. You're going to get the ball back. You know, hey, this thing's still within reach. Not where you want to be, but, you know, 21-0, you get the ball back. You could be 21-7, you know, pretty early in the third quarter. That's a whole new ball game. 
Instead, you go in 28-0 uh, off terrible, you know, punt team coverage uh, and come out completely flat once again with your second half uh, drive, uh, opening drive. And that was it. I mean, it, it was over from there. Utah, you know, knew that they had Oregon. They knew that Oregon was was absolutely dead in the water. You could tell that Utah was just feasting off the fact that realistically it looked like almost all of the Oregon team, uh, save maybe Noah Sewell and a few others, had, had flat out just given up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I also think about when you can't run the ball on offense and you're Oregon, and then you can't stop the run on defense and you're Oregon, like that's damning to the rest of the country because that's Mario Cristobal football in a nutshell. Yeah, and that was once again, besides the fact that this team completely, you know, gave up, quit, didn't show up, any of those things you want to say, uh, you know, again, Mario Cristobal's prided himself on, on you know, a physical style of football, physical brand, being dominant in the line of scrimmage, trench monsters, all the things that he has been quoted repeatedly on, uh, and that didn't show up. You got absolutely pushed around, knocked around, knocked back, knocked down. Uh, by Utah at, at nearly every level of the football, not nearly at every le- level of the football field. Um, and I realized that I'm opening up this podcast, uh, you know, pretty negatively. Uh, that's not lost to me. I understand that I'm being extremely critical of, of this, of this game, of this staff right now. Um, you know, and I know we'll get more into it, but by no means am I a person that's sitting here saying Mario Cristobal should be fired. The ducks need to move on any of that. But as it pertains to this game, it was a poor showing. And my my biggest critique is Mario Cristobal needs to identify why they continue to have these lapses every year and how to correct them. Because really, it's the biggest weakness in his coaching arsenal right now, which has very few weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also, obviously, you're not going to throw him under the bus, nor do I expect you to. But I think it's really telling right now. If I look at your site the last couple of days since that loss, there's a lot of people questioning Mario Cristobal in the years ahead. And before that game, I don't think there was any question about Mario Cristobal. No, and that's fans in a nutshell. I mean, that that really is. They live and die from you know the, the hardcore fans that are on my site, that are spending the time being on a message board that are spending the time every day on scoop duck or wherever they like to be, you know, those are the diehard, what we'll, we'll call them one percenter fans, but we'll say more like 5%. You right, know, there's right. a, a, there's a huge grouping that basically shows up, um, you know, for the games, maybe gets an ESPN alert of something major with the program. Other than that, you know, they don't really know who the, you know, running back committed for the 2022 class coming in is. Uh, you know, there's a very large portion that is that way, but that that five percent, that one percent that lives and dies off play to play, off you know quarter to quarter, game to game, you know, it's it's full and and I'm not picking them, but it's full of people with knee jerk reactions. You know, you had people that last week were scared to death. Mario Cristobal is going to go to Miami or possibly Florida when it opened up, and it did. You know, worried that LSU is going to throw. Uh, you know, the, the money pit at Mario Cristobal and he's going to leave and, and will never be the same again. And then this week, Oregon loses to Utah and it's, oh, well, we need to get rid of Mario Cristobal. And that's, you know, that's that is fandom. That's, you know, I know for you, you know, maybe more so it's with the Raiders, right? You know, they they make a bad, have a get bad game or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, screw the Raiders. I'm done being a fan. You could kind of maybe identify it with it more in that way. 
you know, and Oregon fans are much the same, uh, if not worse. I mean, they really, it's, it's, it's a program that's been pretty spoiled the last decade plus, you know, the Chip Kelly years were amazing. Uh, some of the best in program history. Uh, it seems as though that's when a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon. Um, you know, some have stayed on yeah. with recruiting and, and the success under Cristobal, but you know, the, the demand is there. Oregon, if you read the message board, the demand is that Oregon should blow everyone out every week, right. 75 to three. And anything less than that is deemed as a failure. Now, that's not fair to apply that to everybody, but there is a large spoken group that very much verbalizes that type of thinking. Right. And I think what you spoke at is is kind of the cultural tiers of fandom. Like I, I definitely I consider myself an Oregon fan, but I consider myself a lot closer to that casual side, like you mentioned, right? I'm not in the weeds on the ins and outs of recruiting. Um, I, I read about that stuff, but really just for my job as a, as a sports radio guy. Um, but it's not like where my passion is personally. Um, you, you know, I, I will say this. I, I agree with that assessment from the sense of I'm 29 and I remember as a kid, one of my one of my earliest memories of Oregon football is Joey winning the Fiesta Bowl. And so you have that blowout BCS win and then you have everything that comes after that right the Dennis Dixon team that goes into Ann Arbor and whoops on Michigan you have uh, obviously a pair of national championship appearances and you know the greatest college football quarterback of all time in Marcus Mariota and you have an expectation set that Oregon is going to win a certain way and and that Oregon is going to have a certain amount of wins every year and I think if you're somebody in that age group um, or around that age group or, or someone that like you said fell in love with Oregon football around that time it's really depressing to lose that game that way well and, and I, I know I've talked about this before and I'll bring it up again because it really does bear repeating I've talked about um, expectations, managing expectations, setting them. And, you know, to speak on exactly what you just said right now, Matt, you know, the expectations back then were, hey, we, we got lucky to get to this Fiesta Bowl. I'll be happy if we just, you know, keep it competitive. And then you win, right? So right. The, the expectation was much lower and you got a much better outcome. You know, unfortunately, now the expectation is far different. It is that Oregon should beat everyone 70 to 3 and anything less than that is a failure. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I do see and have some concerns about the way Oregon has won some of their games this year. Clearly, there's obviously problems with the quarterback and the offense and Anthony Brown and things of that nature. I'm not pretending that those those things don't exist, but I'm also not going to pretend this, that, you know, Oregon going out and, let's say, beating Arizona, a much, you know, a much worse team than the Ducks and Oregon wins by three points or seven points or, you know, by golly, even 10 points, heaven forbid, you know, a lot of people will consider that a failure. For me, I kind of look at it and say like, hey, get the dub, get the win, move on. You know, you are Oregon. You are kicking everybody's butt on the recruiting trail. You're getting everyone's best shot week in and week out. You know, there are a lot of injuries with this team. Uh, and let's be real, okay? Let's be real for a moment. If there was a better option at quarterback, I have no doubt that Mario Cristobal would start him. You, if we need to go back to the time that Anthony Brown came to Oregon, which has been two years ago now, 
Oregon was very active in the transfer market that year. I mean, Mario Cristobal, you know, knew that Tyler Shuck was coming. It was clear that he hadn't seen enough from Tyler Shuck to, you know, know that that was the guy. And, you know, we're just going to bring in a, a transfer just in case, you know, you brought in Anthony Brown, let him compete. Uh, but Anthony Brown wasn't your first choice. If you go back, that was a year Justin Field hit the market. There was some other high-profile guys, the Wake Forest quarterback that uh, and ended up going into the NFL instead. Uh, I think his name was Jamie Newman, if I remember right. Yep. Anyways, you had yep. you had two or three or four guys that Oregon had targeted ahead of Anthony Brown, and you know what? They weren't able to get him. So, you know, wh- which would you rather have? Would you rather? not have Anthony Brown and you're living and dying with Ty Thompson right now, which we don't know what that would be, uh, you know, which meant that Oregon wasn't proactive in, you know, two years ago trying to rectify this problem, you know, or are you happy that Oregon's nine and two? And even though they're winning games probably closer than they should, they're still nine and two and you got a chance at a Rose bowl. Uh, you, you, you're going to have another really good football season, no matter how this thing turns out, I guess, barring, you know, them losing the next potentially three games of the season. Right, right. We'll get into what they need to do to uh, get that game on New Year's Day. But I, I think you hit on a point that's at the front of a lot of fans' minds and something that I, I've kind of asked you bits and pieces about before. So Jamie Newman, Oregon wanted him. We've talked about that on the podcast before. I know you've written that on your site before. Uh, he goes to Georgia instead as a grad transfer and then opts out due to COVID, goes to the NFL, uh, gets cut out of camp by Philadelphia. I think about uh, DJU, DJ Uiagalule, now at Clemson. We know Oregon wanted him. That was publicized a lot on your site back in the day. We used to spend like five minutes every week talking about the DJU chase. Uh, He picks Clemson, and I think the jury is far from out on his prowess, right? Like there's a lot of question marks there about his ability going forward. Tyler Shuck. Highly touted, doesn't work, goes to Texas Tech. I, I think Red Raider fans having a lot more to be happy about there. Oregon fan wasn't so happy last year. And now Anthony Brown, we don't have to go into those details. It's it's uh, the kind of thing that the fans just aren't happy with right now. Do you trust Mario Cristobal to recruit quarterbacks at Oregon? Well, I, I think that... I I think this, I think when it's come to recruiting at the prep level of quarterbacks, you know, I think Jay Butterfield offers a lot as a quarterback and I know we don't talk about him very much, but his arm, his arm is second to none on the roster. I will say that without any doubts in my mind, his arm is second to none on. I believe that. And, and I said, I said this on a radio show this week. Okay. Joe Moorhead is the current offensive coordinator at Oregon, and he's a great offensive coordinator. The Ducks are lucky to have him. We all know they're not going to have him for a long time. Okay, this could be the last year. Maybe you're lucky to squeak one more year out of him. I don't know. He's going to be a head coach somewhere. For starters, he's not going to be the head coach at Washington, but he'll get an offer. And he, more than likely, I'm going to guess he'll probably take it. Uh, I, I, I think he wants to be a head coach. Where I'm going with this is, Right now, you have an offensive coordinator in Joe Moorhead that has been given total control of the offense, that has been given total control of the quarterback that he wants to start, and he's riding Anthony Brown. Now, there's a number of reasons for this. He prefers 
a dual threat quarterback. I don't think anybody can dispute that. He likes a quarterback that can run. He loves having that weapon in his offense and he utilizes it. Anthony Brown is terrific at that. As much as he gives away as a passer, he more than makes up as a runner because he's a willing runner. He's a tough runner. He's almost like having a fullback out there because he's nearly 240 pounds. So there's something to be said for that. Now, my point is back to Jay Butterfield. Who knows who your offensive coordinator is next year? It might not be Joe Moorhead. And that next offensive coordinator might prefer the pure passer. You might see Oregon's offense adjust once again because they've hired a new offensive coordinator. Now, obviously, I'm projecting and I'm looking ahead. The point is this. You've established a pretty good quarterback room through recruiting. You went and got Jay Butterfield a couple years ago. I think he's a good quarterback. If he's not playing for Oregon next year, uh, and I have no ill will if he seeks a transfer, as I think he could and and probably should. He's going to be a good quarterback for somebody. I think the Ducks are going to not like facing him. But you've, you've got that passer style guy uh, in the quarterback room. Then you've got Ty Thompson that comes in, you know, highly touted five star guy. You know, I, he's a dual threat, but he's not just a runner. The guy can throw. He can kind of do both. Um, you know, he might just kind of be that you know, that middle of the road guy where he can do both. Okay. Maybe he's not an elite passer and not an elite runner, but you know, if he can just obviously manage a game, you can win football games because we know the ducks can run the ball. And then I think you've got Ashford who's kind of the pure upside athlete. You know, the guy that could really run uh, the guy that, that could be very dynamic in your offense, um, a hell of an athlete. I think you've got three different guys in that room and right now, I think what we're seeing is, is A, Anthony Brown's the most polished. I know he's a six-year guy. He's got a lot of experience. We all know that. There's something to be said that, for that. And I think that that's been a huge factor of the Ducks' success on the road with Anthony Brown this year at quarterback. I don't know that you get that with the other guys. Um, you know, again, I've said this a million times. I'll keep saying it. There's no doubt in my mind that if Mario Cristobal was at practice and saw that there was a better quarterback option for them that guaranteed them a win, that he would assert himself over Joe Moorhead and say, bro, we're starting that guy, right. you know, get him ready. Right. And, uh, and I think that's where you're at. If you're, if you're upset that Anthony Brown is starting, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but it, it, it seems as though at least the staff tried. And unfortunately this is just where they're at now. Uh, you know, I think they've done a good job recruiting the position in the last two or three years, but again, there was a huge void in between the Mariota to Herbert transition and then from the herbert to where we are now to where we are now transition you missed a couple of years there as well so i i think some of those past mistakes have come to haunt oregon a little bit i do think just like the wide receiver room mario cristobal is trying to fix that but uh, it's just unfortunately not an not an instant recipe because your point about dju makes it a really good point i mean dju highly touted five-star everybody thought he was the next coming of cam newton and honestly clemson sucks okay they're not very good they're having a terrible year he is a part of that i'm not going to put all the blame on him but he hasn't shown those glimpses of being the elite quarterback that everyone expected him to be you know had oregon gotten him i mean are you nine and two right now if oregon's starting dju this year no, are you nine and no, two right now not even close not even close right and so again you know these are these are these are Big figure decisions that you and I don't have to make. But of course, like everybody else, we sit here and nitpick them because we're, you know, on the couch at home watching the game. Right. 
So you talk about how Moorhead wants a dual threat guy, and I agree with you. I, I think that's the the gist of his offense, a dual threat guy, really, uh, especially in short yardage, third and short, say third and five at the at the most. I think really gives you an added threat in that system. If Moorhead leaves, and there's been a lot of talk about that, right? A lot of college football jobs are, are going to be open very soon, if not already. And there's a high likelihood he gets an offer to take one of those jobs. Let's say Joe Moorhead leaves. Does Jay Butterfield take starting reps? Does uh, Robbie Ashford take starting reps? Does Ty Thompson get that jersey and uh, get ready to play Georgia in September? Yeah, I mean, we don't know, right? I mean, we don't know what the next offensive coordinator is going to do. I think that it's very fair to say when people say that, you know, Mario Cristobal has probably given his OCs a bit of, hey, we want this to be our identity. Let's make sure we are committed to running the football. But uh, Mario Cristobal doesn't micromanage the offense. It's a, it's a, it's a very big misconception amongst Oregon fans. Sure. Just like any coach out there, when they hire a DC or they hire an OC, hey, look, this is kind of our, our calling card. This is kind of our staple. This is how we're built from a recruiting standpoint, from a personnel standpoint. You know, let's try and adopt something similar like this. But again, you're also going to go ahead and during the hiring process, you're going to that's going to be part of the vetting process. You're going to let them know, you know, your calling card, what you do, and you're going to make sure that they know that when they're getting the job, that that's going to be a factor. So I have no doubt that Mario Cristobal's, you know, mentioned that to Joe Moorhead. But again, I know for a fact he doesn't go sit in a lot of the offensive meetings. He's not in there you know, make telling them what they, you know, have to do and when they have to run the ball and how often, uh, you know, I know he's not telling Joe Moorhead which quarterback to start. So if you're pissed off about all that kind of stuff, that those are Joe Moorhead decisions. Now, if you're happy with some of the play calling and some of the other things that he's been able to do, you know, you got to give him the good and the bad. But yeah, to answer your question, if Moorhead's gone, uh, you have to wonder because obviously Ty Thompson's been, uh, you know, Moorhead's you know, recruit. That's the guy that he recruited and signed last year. Um, you know, you have to wonder if everybody's going to be given a fair shake. We, we, I think it's fair to assume Anthony Brown is gone. Uh, I think he's exhausted all of his time, but I'm, I'm not ever really sure anymore because of the COVID bonus year. Uh, it really throws a wrench in that. But again, you got to assume from that room that the, the next OC, I don't know if they come in and they favor a passer. It's not unfathomable to think that if Jay Butterfield stays, he might be the guy. But right. you know, again, we're going, we're going, to, we're you know, we're going down a a a, a road here, which is it's not far fetched. But you know, it's one a couple moves removed from now. So I guess we'll kind of see uh, how that develops. And like you said, there's going to be a the, the coaching carousel continues to be spinning out of absolute control. And I think. Uh, it's very naive to think that Joe Moorhead's not going to get an opportunity that might at least pique his interest at some point in the next month or two. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Hey, uh, you make that reference about how you're not sure if AB has any eligibility left. I'm in the same boat just because, you know, when I was at Oregon Tech, I, I think I failed like four different math classes. So I, I don't pretend to have a strong suit in math and in counting. I can count to six often in college football I don't have to count to seven so I think AB has no more years eligible but we'll see right well we'll just get there when we get there um 
I want to answer some of the questions that that uh, you got from listeners today. Uh, you put up this thread on your site, and we got a bunch of responses. I won't have time to get to them all, but but some of the ones that I think kind of steer us in a great direction here. We'll start with uh, with one of them, Joe. I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm a little bit worried because I I posted that and I never looked in that thread again. So good, <laughs> I good. have a, I honestly have no idea what you're about to throw at me. I, I like that though, you know, and and behind the scenes a little bit. That means spontaneity. That means he's getting this for the first time. He doesn't have a script prepared. He doesn't have any notes on it. I think that makes for a better podcast. Um, JoJo317 asks, how confident are you that the Ducks will be better or worse next year? And and I want to spin off that. Just will Oregon be better or worse next year? Uh, that's a terrific question. I'm not going to lie. That's a really good one and a great one to lead with. Um, I'll circle back to what I've said even prior to the start of this season. I felt that next year was Oregon's best shot. Now, I understand you're probably going to lose Kayvon Thibodeau this year. I understand that you're going to probably more than likely lose Mikel Wright this year. you got a couple pieces that are going to go away here and there, but not a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, Mikel Wright and Kayvon Thibodeau, those are losses. Those are dudes. Those are those are first or second round looking uh, type of players that you, you know, that you don't like to lose. But I, I do argue, I do maintain, I do think that Oregon has recruited and I will say overall better in the last two years. And I just mean that, uh, you know, position group by position group. I think they've recruited better. I think they're deeper. I still think that you're seeing, uh, you know, a lot of these, like Noah Sewell's a dude, right? Well, he's still only two years in the program, and one of them was a stupid, wild COVID year. He only got five or six games in, you know, so I, I still think you're seeing him scratching the surface of where he could be. Uh, you know, I, you, Justin Flo, if you get him back, that's a big addition. I also think that, get, now, I want to say this carefully, okay? I want to say this the right way. I think that given that you take that time period. And when I'm saying this, I'm saying I was saying this in August. Okay. And you extend that time period over a year to next August. I think Ty Thompson, uh, Jay Butterfield, Robbie Ashford will be better quarterbacks at that point than Anthony Brown is. I'm not saying they are today. Obviously they must not be, or I think we'd see them starting, but I think you give them that year, that spring ball that's going to come up, that winter workouts that's going to come up. They'll do some summer workouts next year, and then you're going to give them fall camp next year. At that point, you will see a better quarterback situation at Oregon, regardless of which one of those three it is. Um, you know, so I feel better about this team uh, heading into next year than I did this year. And Again, you know, injuries can derail that. Um, you know, if there's a loss at offensive coordinator, you you have to hope that that's able to gel and come together pretty quickly. Uh, and not to mention, there's that big ugly game against Georgia <laughs> to start the season next year. Yeah. But uh, you know, I love those games. I do think, as we've seen this year, although Oregon was able to beat Ohio State, I still think should Oregon go to Georgia next year uh, and lose to Georgia. Uh, early in the season, they can survive and withstand that depending on how the rest of their season goes. So that's my really long-winded answer, but that was also a really good question. Uh, following up on that, D. Strahan asked, outside of Bama and Ohio State, how do you compare the overall state and trajectory of Duck football to the other top programs across the country? 
Well, you know, uh, here's my example. Um, uh, you know, Nick Saban is is the benchmark, right? You know, as a coach, you're chasing Nick Saban. What he's been able to do, you know, for how long and the level he's been able to do it uh, is remarkable. Now, we have to think back. Nick Saban didn't start out as the GOAT as he is now. You know, that's something that really has been refined over years. You know, he had some poor experience in the NFL. Uh, you know, he was able to come back into college. Uh, and even then, I mean, you know, he got Alabama going, you know, pretty quickly. He was set up pretty well, too. But he got Alabama going pretty quickly. But that was, you know, what was that, 15 years into his head coaching career? You know, right. I, and I, I'm, I, I'm not looking, but I'm guessing that I'm pretty close there. Uh, ultimately, in my opinion, you're still in like year four, or year five of Mario Cristobal's head coaching career. He's going to get better. You know, the things that I remarked about earlier that concern me, you know, these these flop games like we saw against Utah and the lack of preparation and some of those things, he's going to get better at them. I don't know what Mario Cristobal hasn't done to show that he's not afraid to handle the weak areas of this program, you know, Hey, if, if uh, you know, if a certain room isn't very good at Oregon, uh, he's not afraid to get rid of that position coach. He's not afraid to go out and recruit that position and make it better. Uh, you know, the academic support for this program wasn't all that good for a while. He went out and, and elevated it. Uh, the, the strength and conditioning program needed an overhaul, which he identified day one of his arrival. He went out and has made it the premier you know, strength and conditioning program west of Texas. Um, he's done all those things. I, I I still think he's relatively young overall. I still think there's a lot to learn. He's playing some pretty big boy football. Uh, and my best my best example is this: when Kirby Smart went to Georgia, people weren't sure that he was going to make it. You know, there was two or three years there where you know people started to say, "Ah, you know, Kirby Smart, he's doing he's doing good, but he's not doing great." He honestly, two years ago people that thought he might not survive it and uh you know now granted he's doing, having a terrific year this year with georgia uh but again that wasn't an overnight success for him and honestly it's hard to compare kirby smart and mario cristobal because the resources are vastly different and i know that phil knight's at oregon but you got to look at the recruiting budget that georgia spends on recruiting you have to look at that they have more five stars on their roster than the entire pac-12 has that's a whole different animal. And I think Kirby Smart said it best. You know, I don't really have to coach all that much when I've got as much talent on the field as I do. And he does. And I think Oregon has some talent on the field. But that is a huge difference uh, from we're talking Georgia and Oregon. That is a huge difference in talent between those two programs still. And Oregon's done a really good job recruiting. So I, I do think that the trajectory is going the right way. I think, like I said earlier, the expectations of fans have been skewed. Again, the benchmark is winning 70 to 3. You know, Mario Cristobal has come out and said all the right things and recruited it at, at a really good level. But it seems as though folks have expected immediate returns from that recruiting, which unfortunately, even as good as the recruiting's been the last two years, only two years really, it's still an incremental process to build the kind of depth that Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, that these others have. You know, that's been, uh, you know, top end recruiting classes for five, six, seven years now or longer. Oregon's on its way. But again, I think the expectations have remained skewed. Um, this is a question that 
you didn't get in that thread, but it popped in my mind after hearing what you were saying about Mario when you say, hey, you know, he, he's going to get better at the game management, clock management, and hey, this is only his fourth year of coaching. I think implying that the FIU job that he had way before Oregon really doesn't factor in. And, and I've heard some people argue about that over the weekend. Um, why doesn't the FIU job really factor into the Mario Cristobal discussion? No, I mean, that wasn't, I mean, you know, that was an aberration. I mean, that was, you, you I'm trying to think of, of, I don't disagree with I, you. I, I just, I, I just, no, you know. I was trying to think of an example that I think Oregon fans can relate to. And here's the one that's currently popping into my mind that I think is the best at the moment. Okay. You walked into a, you walked into a losing situation if you're Mario Cristobal and you weren't given the amount of, you definitely weren't given the amount of time that you needed. And not to mention it's FIU. Okay. It's FIU. It's not Oregon. It's not big, big stage Pac 12. It's not SEC. It's not even ACC. Okay. The, the, the level of football is different. Now, I'm not going to take away and say that he didn't learn anything from his time at FIU because I'm sure that he did. Every experience has value. There's no way you're going to convince me that he learned more at FIU than he did at his time at Alabama as an assistant. There's no way. There's no way you'll convince me of that. So, you know, if you want to count the FIU time, I guess you need to count the Alabama time. And if you're not going to count the Alabama time where he was not a head coach, never a head coach, then you can't count the FIU time. And the reason I, here's my example. Okay. I think USC was stupid firing Clay Helton when they did. I thought it was an absolutely terrible decision. I said as much, I haven't changed my mind. And I, I like Dante Williams personally. I have no beef with him. I know the way he left Oregon leaves a sour taste in, in Oregon fans mouth. And, and I get all that, but you're not going to convince me that Dante Williams, and this might've been his own doing, walked into a winnable situation at USC when he took over as interim head coach. Okay. So if you're going to use the FIU time against Mario Cristobal, then I guess you're going to have to use this messy USC interim head coaching time against Dante Williams in the future. Should he be a head coach, which I assume he will be somewhere because he's young enough. So that's my example. It's not a great example, but it was the best one I could come up with that I think Oregon fans can relate to. Again, I don't really, I don't really value the FIU stuff all that much. It was a much lower level competition level, and I think you can see just how difficult that that job is right now because they haven't given any coach since Mario Cristobal the tools they need to succeed, and I think it's pretty apparent at this point. Okay. Yeah, like like I said, I I don't disagree with that. I, I I feel like you really can't compare the two just because it's like a different planet in terms of your facilities, in terms of your budget, in terms of your, your ceiling as a program. Uh, a lot different than being at a Power 5 school where reasonably you can, you can lay out a 10-year plan for a national title. You can't ever do that at FIU. Um, Botley asks two questions. I'll start with the second one because I, I like it better, to be perfectly honest with you. A little more big picture, which I, I, th I think uh, you do really well with. He asks, does the recruiting class take a hit after last week's drubbing? You know, it's going to be tough for me to answer this, uh, you know, because here's the deal. It's 12-22 and about two hours ago, Oregon lost a commit, right? <laughs> Percy Lewis decommitted from Oregon. Right. But really, I mean, 
that 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 by no means was a byproduct of the loss to Utah. That's one we've been talking about for I don't know six months now. You know, he committed back in March, and you know, about three months after that, every everybody in the SEC started coming after him, and he said he was taking visits. So everybody's been concerned since that time. So. You know, to answer that fairly, and again, I'm at least acknowledging that that took place, so it's going to be convenient for people to, to pin that against me. Uh, no, um, you know, uh, re- recruiting isn't, you know, these guys aren't looking at wins and losses. Right now, these guys are looking that Oregon is 9-2 and two with a chance to repeat, you know, as Pac-12 champions. However you want to count last year, doesn't matter. It's going to repeat as Pac-12 champions. Uh, still vying for a chance at the Rose Bowl, has spent nearly the entire year in a position of competing for a playoff spot. Uh, that's what they see. You know, th- this is a trajectory thing for them. This is, and, and not to mention, here's another point, okay? You know, these guys are all being recruited by some big schools. Well, guess what? A lot of these big schools are firing their coaches. And I don't envision that Mario Cristobal's going anywhere. So, you know, that's another bullet point for Oregon is that, you know, hey, th- their stability I think there's going, I get the feeling, and this is not off any inside information at all. This is my gut that we're going to see Oregon put out probably its strongest showing or commitment to keeping Mario Cristobal long-term in this late season or off season, whatever the case might be. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a big, I, I think Mario Cristobal likes Oregon. Uh, he likes his family, likes being there. He has a great relationship with Phil Knight. He respects the fact that Phil Knight is involved, but hands off. He respects the fact that there's only a couple boosters that you really have to um, answer to for the most part, not a whole lot of talking heads. And I I think there's a lot for both sides there. And I think that that commitment, I think the fact that Oregon's trajectory continues to go up, regardless of what happened in Salt Lake City last Saturday, you know, that's a pretty easy sell. Now, I don't think there will be any shakeup from this. Uh, I never do when it comes to a big loss because, again, you know, recruits aren't there, you know, looking at wins and losses. You know, they don't come out of a visit thinking, oh, man, Oregon lost 37-3. to I'm not going there now. That typically doesn't happen. Okay. Um, the second question they asked, and, and this is, I think, more about the, the game Saturday against Oregon State. If Oregon were down at the half – does Ty Thompson make an appearance? Is there any scenario where you see him come in? I mean, I, I guess you got to, you know, you got to look. Uh, this is a tough one, and here's why I'm going to say it's a tough one. So far, Mario Cristobal's been steadfast that the team is behind Anthony Brown. Now, you know, if there's a change, obviously that means that there was a commitment earlier this week, and I'm, you know, you and I record this on a Tuesday. There's a commitment to say, hey, look, get both quarterbacks ready. Uh, this is an open competition week. That's a really dangerous thing to do uh, in week 12 of the football season. Like, really dangerous thing to do. Um, you know, you kind of look at Oklahoma's situation going back and forth between Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. Um, you know, I hate to see us, you know, you you still have a lot to play for if you're Oregon. And, of course, that means you got to win the football games. But, man, it's really dangerous if you make the switch from Anthony Brown to Ty Thompson at this point in the season and it doesn't work out, you're going to have even more questions than had you stuck with Anthony Brown and it not panned out. So um, my my gut tells me no. I don't believe so. I think one of the lessons that Mario Cristobal learned from last year was when we saw the late season flip-flopping from Tyler Shuck to Anthony Brown, which he did do mm-hmm. uh, in the bowl game, and I think it ultimately didn't help Oregon one bit. I think there was a lesson there. 
Um, and I, again, I give Mario Cristobal credit for, for learning from his lessons. I don't think he does it, but um, I don't know if Anthony Brown goes out there and plays as poorly as he did his last week. I suppose all, all bets are off the table at that point. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just kind of thinking about it's almost like worst case scenario, like we're doomsday planning here. If Oregon loses on Saturday, you, you talk about the trajectory of this team and recruits don't really care when you lose one game. If they go back to back and it drops them out of the Pac-12 title picture, how does that impact Oregon going forward? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I don't really like to think of that because <laughs> I'm a pretty positive right. person. Right. Uh, but I, I won't kid myself and pretend that it's not uh, – I won't kid myself to pretend that it's out of the realm because let's let's be real. Oregon State's a really good team. Jonathan Smith's team is playing at a high level. They're a potent offense. Um, you're going to get their best shot. Um, they're going to come to play. You know, there's nothing better than, say, like when you're Utah and you get to play the spoiler or when you're Oregon State and you get to play the spoiler because that's very much what's on the line for them. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, a, a second loss and, you know – I'm not going to lie. I worry about the wide receivers that are committed. I don't think there's any reason to be concerned, but you go and you look at this offense and, and it just, it frankly hasn't been very good. And if you're a wide receiver, you know, you haven't seen many target shares. Um, you know, that is a concern for me. Now I'm sure that coach Cristobal and his staff are, are, you know, letting them know that the, you know, the next guys coming up are better passers and that won't always be the case, but, um, Everybody else in the conference is using that against you. So a guy like Tetroya McMillan that everybody wants, who's an elite playmaker, uh, you know, some, some of that concerns me with those guys. And I haven't, you know, said as much on the message boards because I don't want to create a false panic. But, I mean, you got to look at this objectively, right? You really have to look at it objectively like, hey, you know, Oregon's passing offense has been awful. You know, what receiver would want to go here? And just to, you know, put it in perspective, I've always said, hey, you know, if you're a running back, why on God's earth would you want to go to USC right now? They don't even hand the ball off to anybody. You're not get, gonna get gonna get any carries. Well, you know, I guess it's kind of the same thing for Oregon and the wide receivers. You know, right now with Anthony Brown, uh, you know, I I'd have a tough time making that sell, but but uh, but I don't have to. So I didn't really answer the question. I, it, it would probably concern me with the wide receivers should Oregon lose a second straight game. Mm -hmm. um, to date. Uh, to date, I want to point this out, though. Something that I was vocally concerned about uh, back in March and April and May was how early and often Oregon was recruiting on this national scale. And, and I, okay, they've always recruited nationally, but they kind of picked their spots. And this year, I felt as though Oregon went too national too early. And it was something that plagued Dante Williams when he was at Oregon recruiting. He'd get, you know, two or three or four guys committed early. Uh, you know, from the East Coast or the Southeast or whatever, and none of those guys would end up signing. And then along the way, you scared off all the California and Arizona and Washington products along the way because, you know, you're only going to take four or five guys and you only already had three or four committed, you know, from the from the East Coast. And that plagued Dante Williams at Oregon when he was here. That seems to be plaguing Oregon right now because if you look at the guys that have de decommitted so far, it's two kids from Texas and one kid from Mississippi. Okay, so again, my concerns were about the guys that you recruited from way outside your footprint. 
Uh, and that continues to be the case because obviously right now you look at a guy like Kelvin Banks, five-star offensive lineman. He's taken visits to Texas A&M and Texas, which last time I checked, we're a lot closer to home. You know, that is the, you know, that is the downside to when you recruit like that and you go, you know, too far out of state. I always tend to think it's a little better to do that type of recruiting at the end of the recruiting cycle. But what do I know? Right. Hey, uh, you kind of made me chuckle a little bit thinking about it when you talked about how you like to be an optimist, right? You don't like to to delve too much into the darkness. I, I thought about how there's an old newspaper maxim about how bad news sells more papers. <laughs> oh yeah, it uh, does. And it gets more clicks on the websites. Otherwise, right, right. John Canzano wouldn't have a job. But but I was going to say to the contrary, I don't think I've ever seen you do that. And it's not just you. Like I, I say you in the recruiting business, like I think about like all the Husky fan out there of, of the scoop duck Husky equivalent. They're probably reading on their site how great Washington is, and and USC, it's the, the same deal. Uh, you know, they get to read how the Trojans are one step away, one signing away from building that next super team, and and you just don't really get that kind of negativity very often. Well, I I feel like one of the things I try really hard to do is is to remain even keeled, right? Okay, it's like I, I try and be pretty level headed with some of the stuff, like, hey, look. AJ Hop, does the Utah loss concern you? Hell yeah, it concerns me. That was a really bad loss. But by no means am I going to go the complete opposite way to say there's cracks in the foundation and 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 Oregon needs to make a change at head coach. You know, that's something that that Fishduck does. That's something that, that some of these other guys like to write about. You know, I don't like to try and go the hot click route. I never have. Uh, it's probably cost me a lot of money and traffic revenue. But again, you know, I feel like I've built a reputation of at least being reasonably level-headed through the years which is is hard to do because you get close to some of the you know the the information or the coaches or whatever the, the case might be you get close to that information you know and you want to and you want to buy into it and i i think that's the thing that maybe uh you know your 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 um example of the washington-based outlets i don't think they get all that close to the coaches so it's really easy for them to let their fandom come out and have knee-jerk reactions. And everybody probably knows full well who I'm talking about when, when I'm saying this. And, <laughs> you know. Dog man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Sorry. it's pretty. Uh, Something in my throat pretty, there. So, yeah, it's pretty obvious. But, um, you know, again, even though I've, I've gotten close to some of the coaches before and some of the coaches that might not be there, that might be there now, you know, I've still tried to at least be reasonable in my takes. And it's not always the case. I'm not going to always be 100% right. But I would say more times than not, it's 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 reasonably fair. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, I, I want to thank everybody for the, the comments and the questions we got this morning. Way too many to just rattle them off in the thread, but um, I, I enjoyed reading them, and, and I think you helped us steer this into a good, solid podcast here. We just spent about 40 minutes recapping the Oregon-Utah game and, and getting to some of the questions about Oregon football and its future. Real quick, before we move on to basketball and five games and lock of the week and somehow get out of this podcast at a merciful time, i got to ask you what you think about the Oregon State game coming up. What are you most? What are you most confident about? Uh, that it's going to be a good game. I think that this is going to be a close game. I think that fans need to prepare themselves for that. Um, I don't think. I don't think 
there's I don't think there's a big chance for Oregon to come out and absolutely blast them out of the water because I think you're going to get uh, the Beavers playing it you know, very emotionally high. I think they're going to come out with a lot of energy. You know, they are well coached. They're a very good offense. I know they've probably spent a shit ton of time studying this Oregon offense and ways to stop them. And let's be real, Utah laid out the blueprint for them on how to limit this Oregon offense, which is commit to stopping the run and make Anthony Brown uh, throw it deep on you, which he's uh, very inconsistent of doing. Um, that's the blueprint. I, here's the thing. This is the chess game within the chess game. You, Oregon State knows what Oregon's going to try and do. Okay, so it's up to Oregon now to make their own adjustments, assuming that Oregon State probably duplicates most of what Utah did. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that they will. I, If I was Jonathan Smith, I would. Okay, so now it's up to you, Mario Cristobal and Joe Moorhead, to basically outsmart them trying to outsmart you and i guess we'll see what happens i again i think it's going to be a close game um i would love nothing more than to see oregon win because i don't think i could absolutely stomach my message board this weekend should the ducks (laughs) lose yeah but um you know that's that's just me it's going to be a close game i think fans need to buckle up for that and uh Hopefully, hopefully Oregon can do enough on offense to muster up some points this week. And uh, I don't I don't really care if they win by one point. It's just win for me. That's 100 percent the truth. Yeah. Well, you're, you're spitting truth bombs there. Uh, Nacho cheese on your board. He reminded me about the uh, the first year that we were doing the podcast. We had the uh, the Civil War game and the lead up to it, and I I knew in my head you were gonna say Oregon would win by like fifty, and so I was just trying to balance it out and, and be compelling, and so we spent probably you know fifteen minutes talking about the game, and I went over you know Oregon State could do this, Oregon State could do that, Oregon State could could keep it close, and ever since I get comments about how. Uh, how much of a beaver homer I was in that pod and how I just love Oregon State. So I'm always thankful when people remind me of that and uh, we get closer to this game every year. People ask me, hey, you know, you're going to pick your beavers in this one, you know, kind of kind of tongue in cheek. I'm not going to pick you- the beavers, but but I agree with you. I think it's going to be really close because Oregon's weakness Saturday, they couldn't stop the run. That's Oregon State's strength. I think the beavers keep it close that way. Well, and, and the irony of what you said is the fact that I've been one of the most complimentary people towards Jonathan Smith the last two years of, yep. of any media out there, even yep. more so than a lot of the Oregon State fans. And, you know, everybody's finally catching on like, hey, he actually knows what the heck he's doing. And it's like, yeah, he's put together. He has put together the best program that you can have at this point in his career. And I, I say that in terms of, you know, that thing was a, a disaster <laughs> when he showed up. You know, and he went out through recruiting, through the transfer portal, through, you know, junior college, you know, guys. He went out and got, you know, more ready-made players to at least make them competitive. Are they anywhere near, you know, the top of the heap of the Pac-12? No, but again, they were, I mean, just a couple short years ago, they were they were lucky to right. be, they were lucky to beat half the teams in the Mountain West, to be honest with you. Totally. And uh, they've, co- they've come a long ways. No, it was an empty cupboard. It was an empty cupboard. I mean, you, you want to make an FIU comparison um, you know, that that might be it. Oregon State was a Pac-12 team in name only when Jonathan Smith took that program over. Um, 
I feel like, I mean, I, I could ask you another hour's worth of football questions. I don't have time, <laughs> and I don't think you have time either. Uh, do you want to jump ahead to basketball? Uh, yeah, just a minute or two on basketball, and and uh, yeah, shoot, man, we're almost we're almost near an hour already. So yeah, let's uh, let's let's kick it up a drive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll try to hit the fast forward button here. All right, taping this on a Tuesday afternoon. So the men are in Maui. No scratch that. They're in Vegas at the Maui Invitational. And, uh, you know, I I think that's a little strange personally, but it is what it is, right? 2021, still a pandemic. How do you feel about it? It's a Maui setting in Vegas. I mean, (laughs) that's that's what it is. Aloha from the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, How do you feel about the Oregon men week three of the year? Uh, still finding themselves. Um, you know, I know that, uh, here we are, you and I recording this on a, on a Tuesday, Monday night, they played Chaminade. I watched some of it, you know, it was nice to see, uh, Nate Biddle out there and Isaac Johnson out there. Uh, I thought Johnson looked really good. That's a guy that seems to be really getting more comfortable with the speed, with his role, uh, on the team. Um, and just to think about the fact that Oregon was able to have two seven footers out there and neither of them were, you know, kept Ding and Dante. And, and, you know, I mean, just to think of, of how, you know, tall this Oregon team is, I thought, uh, you know, Harmon looked great. It certainly seems like he's starting to find his offensive rhythm a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think that that's going to be kind of the X factor, if you will, with this team is, is having, the ability to have let Harmon not really need to be a defensive guy and kind of just letting him be a little bit selfish on the offensive end and, and getting some points, which is he's more than capable of doing. Um, you know, we know that Will Richardson's a great player, and I think he demonstrated once again, you know, why he's a great floor, floor general. Uh, and, and that's one of the things, if you go back to all the teams that, that have success in, in March and through March Madness, they have, a, they have a great point guard, a veteran point guard, a great leader there. Um, they have some size and they have an experienced coach. And, um, you know, if, if, if it should get to that point, I think it'll start clicking. And, you know, Oregon has all three of those ingredients to make for a really great recipe. But again, they, they're going to have, you know, they got another month or so of them really kind of coming together, which I think they're capable of. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I don't expect this team to win Maui. I, I think that when you play somebody tougher than a D2 side, Chaminade, uh, you're going to run into some hurdles right now. But it's November, and I think that I, I'll, I'll trust Dana Altman to work the same magic that he's worked every year. This team is going to take its lumps in November. This team is is not going to teach us a lot when they play Montana next week and when they play uh, UC Riverside, UC Davis, and some of these minnows. But as we get into Pac-12 play next month and, and certainly into – February and and March later end of the year when you want to be on that upward trajectory I, I trust that this team has all those pieces to be on that trajectory yeah I you know again like I said I think you've got all the ingredients you know I think I, I think it's going to be nice that Will Richardson's not going to be counted on you know to pour it in the bucket he can just you know lead the offense uh I think that's key I think being able to to rebound effectively, uh, which I think the Ducks will do. 
Um, you know, those are all things. I know that we're not that far removed from the ass kicking that was BYU. Um, but again, I think that's a that's a I think that's part of the learning process for this young team. And and I know that maybe they're not young in terms of age, but they are young in terms of playing together as a team. You got a lot of different parts in there. So um yeah, I'm not forgetting that, you know, BYU wasn't long ago, about a week ago. Um, and I'm well aware that that was not a very positive outcome, right. but, uh, you know, I, I think that's the kind of stuff Dana Altman uses to get his team going. Oh, no doubt. And, and I just want to point this out too. kind of a grass is always greener thing. Would you rather lose to BYU top 25 team, or would you rather lose to Samford and Princeton? Cause that's what happened to Oregon state. Like Oregon state is not a bad team. They won the PAC 12 title last year. They went to the elite eight last year and They've lost their last four, including three of those last four against schools outside power conferences. That's bad. Well, I mean, it is. It's really bad. And I mean, let's let's be real. This isn't just about basketball, but it is about basketball, too. You know, what do you learn the most from? Do you learn the most from an ass kicking that, you know, that the, the other team had no answer for anything you were doing? Or do you learn from getting your your butt handed to you? you know, from a team that's pretty good that shows you your weaknesses. And that's exactly what BYU did to Oregon. They, hey, look, this is where you need to get better, Oregon. These are the areas you need to get better. Your effort needs to be better. Your rebounding needs to be better. You know, there were a number of things that BYU showed Oregon. And again, let's not forget about it. It's only November. So, you know, I'd rather take that lesson in November than take that lesson in February. So I think there was a lot of value to it. You know, there's a lot of value to it. Uh, mistakes in life in general uh, that's when you tend to learn the most so I think that uh, I think that I think that it was a good thing for the Ducks overall okay Um, I am going to beg and plead for forgiveness from everybody I know we got a ton of diehard Oregon women's basketball fans out there I want to skip ahead to five games just because we've already crossed uh, the hour mark here I promise you we'll go we'll go heavy on the ladies next week well, and let's do this in fairness, okay? I mean, th- this is not the Oregon women's team we're going to see all year. No, you know, they are no. down. They are down starters. This is a, you know, this is, quote unquote, the 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 not all the way, but this is the scout team out there. You know, trying to survive and play basketball. Um, so I I just don't know that there's a lot of value for you and I to go over the women's basketball team and what we've seen from them the last week. It's not fair to them. And again, I, I mean, if you don't trust in Kelly Graves at this point, I don't know what to tell you. Our little, you know, two and a half minute segment on women's basketball, losing down three starters, uh, three or four starters uh, to a, a pretty good uh, USF team and to a really good uh, South Carolina team probably isn't going to change your mind on that. So, yeah, uh, let's talk about them in, a, in the next week or two when they're looking a little bit more like normal yeah uh, again you know s- similar comparison here i'd rather have a team that loses to a top 25 than a team that loses to a minnow ducks lose a pair to uh ranked schools i trust in kelly graves he'll write the ship uc davis portland long beach bunch of teams here gonna whoop on in the weeks ahead um let's get into five games Five games. I pick five games. Justin picks five games. And Oregon is not among those five games. We do that on purpose. That way, if you're watching the Oregon game and you want to turn that 
three or four hour window into an entire weekend of college football fun, you got a place to start. Uh, my first game, you know me, I like to go in order on on timing and date. I got a couple on Turkey Day, I got a couple Black Friday, and then I got a couple on Saturday. Let's go with the Egg Bowl on uh, Turkey Day, Thanksgiving, 4.30 on ESPN, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I, I don't think this yeah. game is really that compelling from a standing standpoint, but these teams are fun. It's Lane Kiffin versus Mike Leach. I mean, what more could you want? I mean, that right there is the headline. So, yeah, I'm with you. I had that one as my opener, too. Um, I've ne- I am not the biggest NFL fan. I watch some NFL games, love watching Justin Herbert. I don't really have a team. I don't, you know, I don't live and die with the Raiders. I don't live and die with the Seahawks. I don't really care. Right. So, yeah, you know, if you're going to give me my choice of, of this college game or an NFL game, I'm going to pick this game. So I'm excited for this Thursday afternoon, like you said, 430 ESPN. Uh, and again, Lane Kiffin versus Mike Leach. You know, yeah, let's 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 run the tape on that one. So that was my game number one for me too. game number two for me. Uh, like you said, spreading out the schedule Friday. Uh, Apple Cup, man, you got UW yeah. and Wazoo. I mean, I think you just have to have it. Five o'clock, FS1. Um, I, you know, I don't know. It's probably going to be a little bit of a crap show, but let's be real. This is probably the best chance Wazoo's had at beating UW uh, in the last, I don't know, six years or whatever. And uh, I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's that year where, um, where Wazoo beats the Ducks and there's the snowstorm. They were like top 10 in the rankings. And if they just run the ball in that game, they beat Washington and they win the Pac-12. They don't do it, and their season kind of goes in the toilet. Um, but other than that, I agree with you. I think this is the best chance for them to beat Washington in a long time. And what's crazy about this, like I, I know this is not the outcome Duck fan wants, but there's a chance Wazoo wins the Pac-12 North. I know I, I should pick Washington because of that, but I'm not going to. So uh, I'm going to trust. Here's why I'm going to trust that Oregon takes care of business on Saturday and not have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wazoo, UW, Justin Hopkins said it best. You have to put this game on the list. That's Black Friday, five o'clock on FS1. So after you, you fight somebody for a flat screen TV and a box of socks, come home, kick your feet back and watch some Pac-12 football. Um, Third game for me, also on Black Friday, number five, Cincy, and I don't think they'll be number five for long, going to East Carolina, 1230 ABC. I don't think this game will be close. Cincinnati was awesome last Saturday. I think we'll see more of that as they they blow out their conference foes. But I just want to see them win because I, I think if Oregon doesn't reach the playoff, which they won't now, Cincinnati reaching the playoff is the single coolest outcome for college football. Yeah, I I, uh, I didn't list this one because I think Cincinnati's going to boat race them. But uh, yeah, I guess to your point, it does have a little bit bigger implications for them. So it's certainly worth watching, but I don't think many fans want to want to consider the playoff at this point in time anymore. Uh, I went with Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, I, I mean, I think you have to. I, I, that seems to be a no-brainer, at least probably for for me, and I'm going to guess for you. Yeah. So that was game number three, nine o'clock on Fox Saturday morning, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, yeah, should be a good one. 
Yeah, I, I had that one too. I mean, case in point, this is how important these games are. It's just really easy for us to match this week. Uh, 9 a.m. Fox, two top 10 teams. The simplest way to put this is the winner goes to the college football playoff. Yeah, no, and here's the thing. I, I said it last week. I'll say it again. Ohio State beat the crap out of Michigan State, which I figured was coming. I think they're going to do the same to Michigan this week too. Yeah. Boy, boy, man, that was the, the only thing I could think of after watching that game. Uh, you know, Ohio, Ohio State putting up seven touchdowns at halftime. Ridiculous. The only thing that came to my mind was anybody out there that's a gamer, you remember playing the old NCAA football video games, like maybe 10, 15 years ago, how they had the, the cheat code pennants that you might play and say, oh, I want my defense to get a, a more interceptions, or I might want to play this pennant and make my offensive line all 99 overall. I feel like Ohio State just busted out all the pennants in that game. Like it's, It was the score you could only put up in a video game. It was just so absurd. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was absurd, but again, I, I I felt you know pretty good about that one. I I do I do think Michigan is once again overrated. I think that the the Big Ten has been uh, kind of overranked uh, most of this year, gotten a little extra love that the Pac-12 can't ever seem to get. So right. Ohio State's a good football team. They're not overranked. They're gonna they're gonna beat the brakes off them. So um, yeah, that one was easy for me. I don't. I think we're both. Are we both at uh, four? I think we both should be at four, heading to five. Okay. Yeah. I got the Iron Bowl. I don't know if you do. I don't. Um, but that's cool. I did. Yeah, Bama, Auburn. You know, it's Iron Bowl. I mean, you know, Auburn's a little better than usual. I think they could keep this game closer than usual, but Bama should win. Um, only reason I didn't like this pick is it's you know twelve thirty same time as the Civil War, but whatever. At least you can have it on on your phone when you're sitting in the stands or something. Yeah. Yeah. I I I think if if Bama was better or or no 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 if auburn was better if auburn was was say in the top 25 i would have put that game down because the iron bowl is just such a classic game and you know the kick six comes to mind and cam's comeback game comes to mind a lot of cool memories just in my lifetime with the iron bowl um but i had bedlam instead oklahoma oklahoma state 430 on abc um Lots of Big 12 implications there, and and maybe neither of these teams are playoff teams, but I, I love the old rivalries in college football, and when there's a conference title on the line, I love them even more. Yeah, and uh, you picked my game number five, so <laughs> all right. I guess that, that knocks me off the list. You must have one more then. Well, no, no, that means we only differed on one. That means, because I picked Cincinnati, the Cincinnati That's game, right. And then you picked the Iron Bowl, and those are the only differences. Yeah. That's pretty crazy because there was actually quite a few good games this week. Last week was terrible, but this week's got some pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good games in there. But yeah, that's a good spread. Of, we did a good job getting good spread of games from Thursday to Saturday. Yeah, and and there were a few that I could have picked. Like I I thought about picking the UCLA Cal game just because that could be the last time either of those coaches coach for their schools. Um, you know, so I think that's a neat angle. Um, you know, a lot of rumors about Chip Kelly and a lot of rumors about Justin Wilcox. I could have picked Arizona, Arizona State, because I think this could be the last game for Herm Edwards and, and for Ray Anderson in, uh, in desert there. Um, but 
ultimately, I, I think the most compelling games in the Pac-12 are the ones we picked, and then the most compelling games nationally are all either teams trying to get in the playoff or teams trying to win their conference. Yep. Yeah. No. It's uh, I, you know, it's 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 a really really fun week of college football. Obviously, you know, there's more. Uh, more on the line towards the end of the season. So it should be a, a fun uh, next couple weeks here for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, those are our five games. And um, that's probably going to be the last time we do the five games for a while, just with the uh, bowl season and con- conference championship season uh, coming up shortly too. Um, let's move on to lock of the week and then we'll wrap the pod. Oh, oh, no! Okay, lock of the week. We're going to have a prediction we're so confident about that we lock it in. And I'm going to kind of cheat with this one. Justin talked about it earlier, and I kind of settled on this all day. The line for this game started Oregon minus 13. And I think it's crazy. I'm, I'm glad to see that Vegas, cooler heads have prevailed. That line has plummeted. It's a, uh, a one-score margin, and I think it's going to stay that way. My lock for this game is it will be a, a one-possession game, a last-score-wins kind of game. I think field goal difference, this one's going to be tight. That's my lock of the week. That's uh, okay. Okay, interesting. So I went uh, – here's, here's where I, I'm at. So, you know, two weeks ago, it's highly discussed that, you know, Noah Sewell – you know, all-star linebacker, super stud, you know, doesn't record any statistics in a game. You know, he was in the game, played all the snaps, didn't really get any tackles, you know, so to speak. There was a, a not a not a lot made about it, but there was a fair amount made about it. And then last week, I feel like he was one of the only people who gave a shit in the game against Utah. Played his heart out, had, had a couple big Hulk smashes in there. Uh, I thought he played really hard, uh, and he's one of the few people I would single out and say, hey, man, you, you know, you showed up. And, and tried to win the game. Uh, unfortunately, when it's one on 11, that's not going to help. So my point is this, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau was largely uh, non-existent last week. You know, Utah did a really good job scheming away from him, double teaming him when necessary, although he did see some single uh, some single snaps, uh, some single coverage, single teaming, whatever you want to call it, one-on-ones. He really didn't have a very good game. Uh, I, you know, Oregon State, I don't think ha- quite has that physicality on the offensive line that Utah does. I do think they will once again, try and scheme away from him, run away from him, uh, try to, you know, use his speed against him, things of that nature. But I am going to hope and trust and pray that Tim DeRuder is expecting that much like I am and figure out ways to get cave on Thibodeau involved. So my, my, my lock is this, he's going to be player of the week. Thibodeau is going to have at least two sacks in the game on his own. Um, and, and those won't be his only statistics. He'll have some some pressures and some tackles and some other things. But I'm expecting a huge game from Kayvon Thibodeau to try and kind of remind the country why he's the premier pass rusher in the country. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. I weaseled out on my pick. I, I don't have the heart to pick Oregon in this game. Uh, I, I don't have the heart to pick against them either. So I just said it's going to be a close. It's going to be a one-score game. Justin gave you something a little more concrete. Hopefully he's right. And uh, and you get that big defensive game, and maybe it isn't so close on Saturday. But we'll see. Um, thanks again for listening. I'm always thankful for the folks that reach out, folks that leave comments on the site or on Twitter. 
and uh, for the folks that share this one with other people because we find new listeners every day if you got a friend that's a duck fan please show them the podcast share it with them and uh, you know what if you're somebody like me keep things pretty close to the vest just thanks for listening thank you for listening and go ducks I can do this now.